Hello and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Jason Knight, and every week I'll be speaking to some of the brightest and best minds I can find in tech and product, digging into their stories, finding out what it is they do, and hoping they can share some of their wisdom and advice with me and with the rest of us. I'm here in Waterloo Station, and in tonight's episode, I Train, we imagine a fantastic future of intelligent trains. How will they make our commutes better? Will they sort the toilets out for us? Why are 10-year-olds worse to present to than CEOs? What is the best way to stack marshmallows? For answers to all these questions and more, all aboard. Destination, one night in product. And my guest today is Deepak Paramanand. Um, hello, Deepak. Hello, Jason. Good evening. Good evening. So Deepak is, as his LinkedIn says, an AI practitioner, a speaker, an educator, uh, although I also believe this is, uh, Deepak, your first podcast. So Deepak, before we start, I have one question uh, for you, which I think is probably going to be the most important question of this entire uh, interview. Um, I read on your LinkedIn a fascinating tale about how you built the tallest tower of of marshmallows. (laughs) And I wondered if you could talk to me a little bit about that uh, and what that taught you about um, business practice and and product delivery. So you should know I am very, very competitive. If (laughs) If it's a spoon race involving the spoon and the lemon, I will win it. Uh, if it's a sack race involving a sack and people running in it, I will win it. I am extremely competitive, so naturally, any opportunity to you know beat and uh, win against other people is a right opportunity for me to go in and win. So that particular uh, thing, it was my first CSPO uh, sort of a conference, and I was being taught uh, what this Scrum certified product owner look like. I was with my colleague, my friend, I was another stranger. So naturally, I thought of it as an opportunity to win and show exactly how much everybody else, you know, sucks at building marshmallow trees and whatnot. So, uh, I don't, uh, so I built it. And what in our case, we found was that people were using marshmallows. They had to essentially take a stick and stick a marshmallow and build the longest tower they could. And people thought linearly. They attached the base and then they built the tower on top. And I said, well, we are between two tables. There's a wedge in between. Let's stick. Just make sure that the stick doesn't fall off and we can bear the weight of the marshmallow, which we did. And we stuck the, the stick between the, the two tables and the wedge. And lo and behold, we had the tallest marshmallow tower. So I think what I learned was if you have a mindset of winning, even you know distances between two tables can be the bridge you need to build a long, long marshmallow tower tree. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's what I learned. And did you uh, get to eat the marshmallows afterwards as well? Is a very important question. Yes, at that time I was not a vegan, so I could eat it. Looking back now, I will not eat it now. So I would you know pass it on to somebody else. Yes, I did manage to eat it then. Sounds fantastic. So. Um, Back to more prosaic uh, business matters, I understand at the moment that you are a um, product uh, owner at Hitachi, which uh, is a very large company, of course, which I'd like to talk about a, b- a bit about the largeness, uh, so to speak, in a minute. But I know we can't talk too much about the specifics of what you're working on at the moment. But one of the things that I saw on your on your profile was that you are working basically on putting uh, artificial intelligence into trains. 
which yeah. uh, for me certainly felt like a fantastic, um, almost Thomas the Tank Engine come to life. Like we could finally be driving around in trains that are talking to us and um, and having existential angst and stuff like that. I'm assuming that the AI in trains isn't quite like that, but um, if there is anything you could tell us about the types of problem you're trying to solve, even if you can't tell us how you're trying to solve them, would be really fascinated to, to because to me it's, it's almost like, AI in trains and sort of machine learning, it starts to feel a bit like sort of self-driving this or, you know, automated that. Is it that kind of thing or is it something completely different? Um, and again, I completely appreciate that you can't share all of the details. Because no, it's I mean, I can't share. Uh, when the job offer came up, there was like, it involves trains. And growing up in India, coming from a you know, middle-class background, we didn't have access to flights. So trains was my more frequent modes of you know, commute. And I love trains. I don't know anybody who doesn't love trains because it affords the opportunity for you to be social. At the same time, look out of the window and see a whole new world without having to engage in it. So when this job offer came along, I was like, they're actually paying me money for this, which seemed a great gig to, to get involved into. So I, I got on here. And because the opportunities with Hitachi are so endless, I mean, I can't tell you details, but if I tell just the amount of work they do in such diverse fields, I don't think reasonably I can retire because if I start doing AI in everything they do, I think my kid will join and he might retire from it. It's such a such a vast, vast field. And so when they said trains, I said, well, let's you know think about trains. And before I interviewed, what I found was that they actually had already built a self-driving train for a company, mining company in Australia called Rio Tinto. It was a very specific use case. They had to drive the train from the mine to the yard, to the shed, and they had already achieved that. It was not easy. They had to prototype for several years to get that going, but they had already done that. And to me, that was fascinating because people generally just talk about it for somebody to go ahead and actually make that happen, overcome so many uh, odds. It was a big deal to me. And to me, work done actually speaks more than just the visionary stuff. So I was totally bought into that idea. And I was like, well, if that's what they've done, where else can we put AI? For example, you can help drivers drive better by detecting drowsiness. Or if you've taken the metropolitan line or any other underground line here and you're bored with the incessant delays, how can we use AI to not have delays for commuters? At the same time, how can you make trains more safe, more reliable, more secure? How can you make the fuel consumption better so that there's a far bigger advantage to trains than planes. So those are some of the areas that I interviewed for. Uh, again, I said, like, we've still not, you know, uh, we have a very good idea of where we can apply AI to. With COVID, is definitely not helping. For example, the common use cases, you know, are people sitting too close to each other? Should we be telling them that? You know, do you want to be announced in, a, in the train that, hey, you with the yellow jacket, don't sit too close to the lady in the red jacket? I don't think people would like that. But how do we still monitor that, uh, inform to the customers the same way, and still maintain a high quality of service? So we are exploring a lot of things. The pandemic certainly has not helped, but the future is Mm. bright. I do see trains as a very, very big medium of transport over and above planes, especially for the low carbon footprint they have. So all my work is just uh, taking the commuter, person like myself or yourself who commutes on the train and find out how we can make the train experience more pleasurable, more enjoyable, more safe and secure, 
using AI. So that's the kind of the broad limit that I have to it. Well, that's cool. And if uh, if I could put one feature request in your backlog, I think it would be to uh, try and to use the the power of AI to uh, do something with the, the the toilets on the trains because you know they're they're something that needs to be fixed. You are right, sir. You know what? That's such a that's such a common request. I should maybe have a, like a public backlog and ask people to put <laughs> feature requests. And some people have asked to say, why can't I have a gym in the train? Right? Yeah. Why can't you tell me which carriage is full and why can't I just go and sit there? Like, yeah, absolutely right. Only question is, uh, are we invading someone's privacy by giving me that information mm. or it's okay to say or not? It feels like a very, um, uh, I mean, I'm assuming that this is something that you're working on with for UK trains or is it just trains in general or uh, just the, the, more the of a conceptual thing? Uh, the trains that Hitachi manufactures, primarily that's the target we're going from because once we do that, then it's easier to uh, sort of talk it, uh, talk of it as a platform. So we're trying mm-hmm. to perfect in-house what we're doing and then say, okay. it's a train, it's a train, right? You have sensor yeah, yeah, A, yeah, yeah. sensor B, and then can we uh, implement it uh, for everybody else? So would you say it's still very R&D based at the moment? Uh, because I was thinking that you, from a sort of a safety perspective, regulation perspective, that things like trains, I was, I was you know looking at it thinking, well, if I'm um, product managing something to, to go onto trains something that may have safety implications or any kind of uh kind of knock-on effects to the to the rest of the journey that that, that might be something that's quite heavily regulated and yes, I, I guess from what you're saying that that might not be something that you've had to to, to hit yet but presumably would have uh, yeah to take i will hit that for sure i'll hit that for sure I'll tell you one thing i was always frustrated why am i delayed so much on trains so a uh, network rail today in the uk regulates at what speed in what sections of the train can the drivers drive at what speed and that's primarily for security and safety reasons. For example, during rain, a particular section of the track may be so waterlogged, it may not be safe for the driver to drive that fast. So it is with good reason they set these things up. Now the question is, with AI, with you know, heavy technology, can we overcome that? Obviously, the answer is yes. The question then becomes, when we do that, we have to, what do you say, procure the network to mm. fit those sensors to the AI, which means for days on end, the network is shut down. So there are no trains, which people won't like either. So the question now becomes, how with minimal amount of disruption can we enable more safety and more security for customers without shutting down tracks or sections of the train permanently for days on end? So, I mean, you touched on it before. I mean, Hitachi is obviously a very large company. I think I looked it up. Well, I definitely looked it up earlier. It's like 300,000 employees or something like that. How have you found sort of being in such a large, presumably fairly traditional company because it's it's got a long history right so how, how how have you found that from a product management perspective do you have quite a lot of autonomy and um sort of agile flexibility or or or, or not really no i do have a lot of flexibility so the way so i work for a thing called the accelerator within the company ah. think of it as a startup with the backing of a big corporate so that's a fantastic position to be in because i get to leverage the huge sales business development marketing cycle at the same time, I get to build uh, the product on, on best practices, on new ideas. It is uh, So there is a bit of transition, transition from the new to the old. But knowing that I can, uh, my job, the way I put it is to say, can I prototype uh, something fast enough for the big Hitachi sales and machinery, business of machinery to go put up input of customers and get feedback? That is absolutely true. And I can get feedback within a week if I needed to because there's such wide uh, you know deployments and exposure it's very very fast for me 
because if I were in a startup, I wouldn't have that much time or such speed in getting to customers. So there's definitely an advantage here. But obviously, there are challenges because they want to get, they're so widespread, they're literally in so many other businesses. So they want to sort of prototype a particular segment, say trades, and then go back and say, now that you've learned from trains, can we apply the same to elevators, to escalators, to ships, to heavy machinery, which Hitaji is very, very well known for. So some mm. lines of businesses don't lend itself well to the fast and uh, heavy technology. Some sectors do lend themselves to that very well. So, uh, you know, our group and my job particularly is to prototype fast enough, validate the customer, the industry fast enough so that I can take the benefits of the big company that we have and validate the ideas with customers rapidly. So it's a very, very exciting time to be here. I must say, uh, if Jim is my boss, he's going to hear this someday. Uh, hats off to him. Uh, it's, a, it's a, I mean, it is a big deal, uh, and he's he's helped us a lot in uh, getting along and uh, being able to do what we're doing without having to sort of have the burden of a big company on us. Hmm. It's interesting because you were saying that about the sort of accelerator. I, I remember the uh, uh, Innovators Dilemma book uh, by Clayton Christensen, which obviously talks a lot about the, the trouble that big firms have to kind of basically keep up with small, more agile, nimble firms. And one of the, the big things that they recommend or that he recommends is uh, effectively just what you said. So it's almost like a company within a company and, and sort of letting that company do kind of what it wants because you're always going to get bogged down otherwise in, in, in the history. Uh, and again, it actually has great history, but it's not necessarily going to be something that serves you Sort of day to day when you're trying to do something really radical, I guess. So it's really good that you've got kind of got that thing going. Yeah, no, I, as I mean, it's a cliche, but you always want to work for the right boss. The job and the mm. company are incidental. And, and I, yeah. I, I've had the pleasure of working with so many bosses in my 15, 15 years of career. And, you know, unless proven otherwise in the in the future to come, but that would have a good boss, good children is great. Mm. We have a great team uh, who's very, very pumped up to do these exciting things and so so far so good i uh, can't uh, can't ask for something more right now well, that's great and uh, i'm obviously really excited to find out what's going to happen with this uh, ai in trains and and when they're going to start doing this stuff but um have you got like a release plan in mind like is there oh, a, yes. Is there oh, yes. a uh, schedule oh yes uh, definitely schedule I'm hoping to get something out by next year uh, okay. customers we have a press release you know we do the amazon style work having the press release ahead of time talking to customers so we're definitely working on something you know, again the pandemic has slowed us down massively yeah because if there are no people going on trains it's harder to validate that at scale because you can't really say we tested this house in one carriage it works for a carriage means for works for the whole train works for the whole network you can't really say that so you need to run these tests and this validation criteria across so many carriages, across so many trains for it to be useful. But with the pandemic, we're massively, massively in the handicap by that. So we're hoping to, as we you know, catch speed and people get back on trains, we can validate and come to market sooner with our solutions. Oh, that's really cool. Uh, looking, back, looking back through your career, you've obviously spent um, a bit of time at Microsoft as well. Yeah, um, yeah. Working on their Swift, Swift key keyboard, uh, which yeah. I assume is one of those kind of swipey things that my fat fingers always fail to type on. Is that is that the, is that the type of keyboard that we're talking about? Yes, it, it's for everybody: fat fingers, thin fingers, no fingers. Uh, you just go in there, uh, you say hello, 
uh, first time we say hello, we'll say good morning because we think everybody in the world says hello, good morning. But then over a period of time, we personalize to you and say, hello, how are you? And then we'll personalize to you and predict the next word for you. So it is a keyboard app. It's one of the top keyboard apps on the Play Store. Uh, you know, very, very exciting time at Microsoft. And it is a fantastic team to work with. Cool. And I see something around Microsoft Puppets. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so that, was my, that was my work in computer vision. So the premise was, um, because we are a keyboard, what kind of inputs can we facilitate to users to help them feel empowered in expressing themselves any way you can? Because with the typing medium, you can express yourself typing. With emoji, you can be creative, uh, express your emotions. But as Android users, uh, we've always felt the users giving us feedback that we don't feel as empowered as Apple users. So uh, Samsung and Huawei have tried to address this with AR emoji and other things. So Puppets was our answer to Apple's Animoji experience, where you are able to express yourself and customize your expression to the audience. For example, you can say happy birthday to your kid, to your wife, through a standard emoji or a GIF. But with this now, you can choose a panda, a cat, dog, and then customize your own person greeting for someone. So it is your voice, but coming from a mouth of a, of a panda. <laughs> so, you know, a kid might find it very... My, my son loves me for it. He thinks I'm the coolest <laughs> dad in the world just because I can make panda and cats and all come to life. So it is definitely a very good calling card. It's a very <laughs> easy and uh, easy to explain product experience because otherwise, typically, as you know, Product managers have a hard time telling people what product have I worked on and can I touch it and mm. feel it. It's usually a very hard thing to say. So yeah, it was a fantastic working experience. It was my first uh, computer vision product, a different kind of AI I had worked on. Very, very challenging product experience. But man, the learning curve was so, so good. I I would not trade and pay that in for anything else. Oh, it sounds fantastic, and obviously it's really popular these days as well. I still remember the uh, the story uh, at the beginning of the pandemic where some uh, boss uh, accidentally turned themselves into a potato in the uh, in the Zoom call or something like that. And it just sounds like the uh, the ultimate expression of um, of of what you're talking about, except just accidental and probably uh, <laughs> probably never ne- never got over it. But um, but yeah, on on AI, I mean, so I mean, in in my day job, I'm I'm working a lot with with uh, natural language processing and and um, sort of lots of related fields around that. And I know you've done some of that work as well, as well as the computer vision stuff and whatever secret things you're doing with your trains at the moment. I mean, I think I, from my perspective, it's fair to say that when you start getting into really heavy heavy data science and artificial inter- intelligence and um, machine learning and stuff like that, it it starts to get a bit outside of my comfort zone with regards to actually how it works because I'm not a data scientist and um, and I obviously rely on all of our expert data scientists to do that but I'm still responsible for um, asking them to solve the problems in an interesting and useful way um, using the techniques that, that they know. How have you found um, kind of being the product lead for um, AI machine learning based uh, products? So I've actually benefited quite a lot by actually doing some of the NLP myself. So back in the day, even when I pitched for the NLP product, I actually coded my first uh, hack idea in Python to show them it is how it works. And my basic pitch was, if I can do this, you know, in two days <laughs> of coding, if you, if you employ a regular NLP engineer, imagine how much more that person can do. And all I had to demonstrate was, 
I had to demonstrate that NLP can read documents, can highlight term frequencies, inverse document frequencies, and even without opening a document, tell the story of a document to the person so that the immediate mundane tasks of reading, highlighting, annotating can be overcome very, very easily. And they, they bought it. And you know, I, my emphasis was, I can do this. I'm not qualified to write production code. Uh, and my developer friends would, you know, attest to that any day. <laughs> if I can do this, imagine a proper NLP engineer with, with a proper education background can do so much more. And that actually, mm. for me, was the turning point because I took it upon myself to explain myself, not just to presentations and prototypes, but to actually document that, write that piece of code out and say, this is what it is. Here is the input, here is the output, and here is the algorithm that was used to do this. That was very empowering for me. And because I had that confidence and I had hands-on experience doing that, uh, it helped me pitch my product very, very well. Again, NLP was a very standalone case. I'm not a very uh, math person. Math and me probably wouldn't go out to a, a bar to drink. Uh, <laughs> absolutely not. But NLP seemed much more safer. At least the work I've done was less math. It was more sort of understanding, you know, term frequency in this document frequency, which I don't think is heavy math. I was able to understand that. And that was important to me because if I can explain it to myself, I can explain it to a 10-year-old, I can explain it to executives very well without having to uh, you know, use a data scientist in the room, for an example. So that started my journey. Once I was able to do that, I was able to build models of abstraction around how to do AI. For example, the way I look at it is traditional uh, software, you have to in give an input, you have to give an uh, algorithm as an input, and you get the output on the other side. Whereas for AI systems, you give the input, you give some semblance of the output, and what you get is an algorithm. So just having that mindset change was a big deal for me. But once I was able to conceptualize that, I was able to make it real for myself. I was then able to say, okay, so now I understand it you know, in very, very concrete terms. Let me now build a you know, business case around it. Let me build a product strategy, a roadmap around it, and test it out with people. Because as you know, in product, solutioning something is not what you and me do. We are here to qualify problems. So then I retrofit that to say, what problems can it solve? Is it an actual problem for someone? If it is, then what does it mean today? What is the journey coming out of it? And how can AI help reduce the journey, You know, help customers save time, increase productivity, and how much are they willing to pay for it in return? So I was able to, you know, take the solution I had, retrofit it to the problem space and come up with the product idea. So I would say, uh, for me at least, actually having coded that first uh, bad code in Python in, in NLP was very, very important because I made stuff real for myself. Mm. Yeah, I think um, for me, one of the things that you said there, which, is, which kind of chimes with me, is that obviously um, it's all about obviously solving a problem for users. I mean, there's product people, we're going to say that, but at the same time, things like AI and, and associated technologies are, they're just tools. Yeah. Um, they're not, they're not, yeah, I think it's really dangerous to fall in love with any solution. And obviously the, the big, there's a big buzz around AI and machine learning techniques. And there's obviously loads of really useful and cool um, kind of applications of those. And we should definitely embrace those, but not just fall in love with it because it sounds good or because you saw an, a, a medium.com article or something <laughs> like that. So, um, I definitely. I'm also trying to work out um, of the ten-year-old and the and the execs that you were talking about, which one you're rating <laughs> higher in the hierarchy. 
Because, so I'll tell uh, you this. I'll tell you this, and this is very fascinating for me to even find out. So I've spoken to executives. I've spoken at large conferences. I've spoken to industry professionals. I've spoken at London Business School. I've spoken to kids. Man, I tell you, hands down, it's <laughs> a very, very hard audience. They take no BS. They ask you the toughest questions, and they will <laughs> give it back to you straight back. So my sense today, if I'm able to make sense to a 10 to 12 year old, I think that's the most brutal audience I get. Because executives at some time want, don't want to feel dumb by asking a dust of question. Kids have no filter like that. So I went to, a, I did an AI sort of introduction workshop at a high school here. Uh, I was sweating. I was sweating by the end of it because they were, they were asking me really tough questions. And I, it took all of the courage in me to give them a straight answer and not flip at them. So I would say kids definitely rate higher on the toughness chart compared to <laughs> So there's a question that I like to refer to as the barbecue question, which I'm now going to reframe as the kid's uh, birthday party question. So you're at a kid's birthday party and um, one of these aforementioned tough children come up to you um, and ask you what you do. I mean, I'm assuming that they're probably, you know, not five, but maybe 10. How would you describe um, product management, not the products that you manage, but product management as a, as a concept to, to that 10-year-old child? Lovely. And my son asked me that. And by the way, uh, my son and my wife don't have a very high opinion of what I do because for all <laughs> that matters to them, I just keep I, talking I, I, I hear that. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> like, all you do is talk and you laugh a lot. I don't know what work you do. It's like, Adi, as long as my boss thinks that way, I'm in trouble. He doesn't think that way, I'm fine. So, uh, how do I, so here's what I would say. I would say, if you were given a problem to solve, a a smart person or a developer would actually go and solve it. But my job is to qualify the problem and say, is the problem you know, uh, for you alone or is this a problem for so many other people like you? And then I say, uh, you know, how many times do you have the same problem? Do you have it every day? Do you have it every month? And based on those two questions, I then answer to you saying, should I even go solve the problem or not? Because I'm going to answer by him and say, Every time I commit to doing something, my time is taken away from something else. Or each time I'm doing something, I'm not doing something else. So the cost of not doing something else could be much higher. So I would tell them my job is problem qualification, making sure that the problem is you know, durable enough. It's, it's, uh, it is for a large number of people. And then finally, by solving that problem, uh, I am reaching out to as, as much of a large audience as I can so that the time I spend solving that problem is equitable and useful for me, and I can derive value from doing that. That's what, sorry, it's very wordy, but I would say problem, <laughs> problem qualification. I don't know, a kid wouldn't understand problem qualification, but I had to break it down to say problem qualification means this. Yeah, I think I get it, but you, you might want to get like a, a, 12, a 12 year old um, kind of <laughs> copywriter or something to just sort of bring it down a little bit, but I, I, I definitely get the concept. So I, I don't um, think I'm invited to birthday parties. Uh, the second birthday party will be a tough invite, but if I work on it, maybe yeah. I'll get invited to the third birthday party. Yeah, that's the thing, you know. I mean, uh, uh, product people are uh, an unloved breed who never get invited to parties is what we're taking from that. What kind of inspiring quote would you like to see on your tombstone when archaeologists uh, dig you up in a few hundred years' time? Uh, given that he wasn't given a choice to be alive, he tried to make the best <laughs> use of it. I think that's probably half inspiring and, and half existential dread again, but I'll take it. 
No, that's. I think uh, try, trying your trying your best is definitely a, a thing that I'm uh, I'm I'm well on board with. So I think that, that maybe there'll be some dust on the first bit or something that can kind of make it seem more of a motivational poster. But definitely, uh, definitely a good sentiment. What or who is your your greatest hero, and why are they your greatest hero? I think uh, it's a combination of my my teachers. And growing up as a kid, I wasn't a very bright person. Some will say I am not a bright person even now. I have no defeat against that. But I was eternally interested in doing many, many things. As I said, I do stand-up comedy. I, I volunteer. I teach meditation. I meditate when I get the chance. So I was, was very distracted as a child, trying to do many, many things. As a result of which, studying sort of became one other thing. So during that tough time, a lot of my teachers didn't uh, judge me. They didn't think I was mm. dumb. They didn't think I was distracted. They treated me with a lot of kindness and with a lot of patience, which in turn helped me grow. And I did pass out of college with good marks. But looking back now, had they judged me, had they put me in a negative place, I wouldn't have flourished. So looking back, I thank them for what they've done and try to imply the same kindness and the same ability to not judge with the people around me and help them flourish. So I would say the teachers back in the day who, who, who helped me flourish and become what I am I, I think are the biggest heroes yeah, that's very good and obviously we're always made by the people especially when we're younger we're made by the people that that are around us and yeah I personally still sit there worrying about things that people said 30 years ago so uh, I definitely know I definitely know where you're coming from there um, would you give any specific advice to any up-and-coming aspiring product managers, product professionals as they start to come into the game these days, either in AI or just, just in general? I would say start by doing. I mean, I tell them uh, the most important skill I have, the real, real skill I have is SQL. You throw me a database, I can write SQL, I can do death by SQL, and I can bring brilliant insights from it. That's the one real skill you can have from me that you can't take away. But because I had that so well, I was able to build on that and build bigger and bigger and newer and newer abstractions for the world as I went along. And that helped me immensely. So I would say anybody trying to get into data or AI, start with the basics, start with the BI, you know, SQL, uh, abstract the data, learn from the data and sort of try to solve the business problem with it. Because as I said, it's very easy to go solve it, making sure it's a, it's a problem worth solving. It can solve the problem for many, many people, helps you scale, so that identification of problem and qualifying the problem are important skills to have. Uh, so yeah, that's the only advice I've had. That's the only real advice I had that has helped me. People ask me, how do you get into AI? I was like, well, do BI really, really well. Explain the heck out of the data you have already to SQL and whatnot, and that will give you a very, very good foundation of building AI and building AI products. Cool, no, that sounds uh, inspirational. Um, well, I know we're at time and uh, I don't want to uh, keep you from your family because I know that they want to go to the park. Um, so thanks very much for, for joining me. It's been a really interesting conversation and uh, hopefully be interesting for the multitude of listeners that we're inevit inevitably going to get um, once this goes out. Um, uh, where can people find you if they want to connect with you or chat to you? So I'm on LinkedIn, as, as you know. I'm shortly mm -hmm. coming up with my own YouTube channel called 1% Smarter, which I just basically mm. says helps you become 1% smarter every day, which is basically how I got to be where I got to be. So look out for that. It will be people like Jason, very smart people who have done 
the small little things throughout their life to become who they are and become successful so you you'll see that shortly but yeah i'm on linkedin and you know as i as i keep telling people with my first time last time combination i'm the only guy <laughs> you'll find so i am going nowhere i am right there <laughs> Uh, that's cool, and I'll obviously put the uh, details in the uh, uh, description of the podcast once we put it up. Well, thank you very much for your time. It's been a fascinating chat, and um, I wish you all the success in creating your robot trains. And um, let's uh, keep in touch. Yes, surely. Thanks, thanks, Jason. Have a good evening. Thank you. Keep, good. keep in touch. Yeah. Yeah, good night. Bye. Good night. Thanks for listening. As ever, it's my pleasure to have your attention. If you'd like to come onto the show to talk about your experiences, please feel free to pop to the website, onenightinproduct.com, click the link, leave your details, and we'll be in touch. Otherwise, of course, I'd appreciate it if you shared, followed, or liked this podcast on the app of your choice. Tell your friends about me, and please come back for more quality content on One Night in Product.